It's good to be here with you uh, doing another one of these video messages for anyone who's not able to join us at church on Sunday. I hope these are helpful to you. Uh, today we're going to be looking at 1 Timothy chapter 5. We're specifically going to focus on verse 8, but we're going to read all the way down verses 1 through 8 uh, to set the tone for the study and then make a call to everyone that is uh, not exactly politically correct in our culture today. We're going to call on men to work in order to provide. So this is the manly call to work for a living. And we're basing this out of 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8. That's where we are in the text, and we have a series of sermons that have led up to it. And today we're going to pay attention specifically to the call of a man's responsibility to provide. So beginning in verse 1 of 1 Timothy chapter 5, let me read to you now. Paul writes to Timothy, Do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, with all purity. Honor widows who are really widows. But if any widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show piety at home and to repay their parents, for this is good and acceptable before God. Now she who is really a widow and left alone trusts in God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who lives in pleasure is dead while she lives, and these things command that they may be blameless. But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So that's the text this morning. And again, I'm going to focus primarily on verse 8. I'll read it to you again now. Listen to the message. But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. This is not a politically correct message, but the first point today, and it's on the board behind me, it is a man's responsibility to provide. It is so much a man's responsibility to provide for his household, to provide for those whose care he has assumed responsibility for. It is so much his job to provide that failing to make an effort to do so, uh, being negligent in this work, in other words, failing because of a lack of effort and a lack of desire and a lack of commitment, failure to provide for one's own household is the equivalent of denying the faith and someone who does that, who lets those under his care suffer because he refuses to provide for their needs, someone who does that is worse than an unbeliever. Now, what does he mean worse than an unbeliever? Even unbelievers, people who have no respect for God, people who, have, who feel no call of God in their life to repent and to behave honorably, even people who are pagans, even unbelievers understand that it is the responsibility of men in the home to provide for those under their care. Now, specifically in 1 Timothy chapter 5, this verse is written in folk with uh, parents, specifically widows or uh, maybe grandparents who are widows, in focus. In other words, it is the responsibility of the family to provide. And any man who doesn't do that, if anyone does not provide for his own, especially those of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. There is something so incompatible with the Christian faith in refusing to provide for those 
of whom God has given you responsibility in your own family, that to refuse to do it is akin to denying the faith. And a person who does that is worse than an unbeliever because even the majority of unbelievers understand that this is something that is right to do. Now, somehow, over the last 25 years, a simple message like that has become, you know, impolite. A simple message like that has become uh, fringe. To, to look and make this first point, to look into a camera and make this first point, that it is a man's responsibility to provide, has somehow morphed into the kind of statement to where it's supposed to take some amount of courage to summon to even say such a thing. But we're not going to get into the foolishness uh, of that sentiment. It, it, I have no, no bones uh, about, about saying this clearly. It is a man's responsibility to provide for his house and for his household, for his family, for those in his family who are in need. It is his responsibility to provide, okay? It is not primarily, you know, a wife's responsibility to go earn the wage for the family. She may do it. She may need to do it. In fact, as we get further into 1 Timothy chapter 5, specifically down in, in verse 16, there's a call specifically made to women, and we're going to get there. Next week, we're going to look at a different call specifically towards women. We're going to get there. But it's enough to say it is a man's responsibility to go to work and earn a living and provide for those who are depending upon him for provision. Now, I, I recognize that there is mass gender confusion in our world. There is mass confusion about gender in our world and about the call to various roles of gender. And I grew up in the 80s and the 90s, okay? So I grew up in a, in a culture and in a world and a society where the predominant message was there is no difference between a man and a woman. You know, I grew up in the, in the G.I. Jane culture. I grew up in the culture where a girl can do everything that a boy can do. You know, everything they can do, I can do better. I grew up in a culture to where anyone who stood up and said, no, there are things inherently, uh, you know, designated to the realm that men should do, and there are some things inherently designated to the realm that women should do. I grew up in a culture that that, that message was basically cultural heresy, that there was no difference between a, a man and a woman. That's what I grew up in. That was the, the 80s and the 90s. Uh, and that was the message of various, you know, feminist groups and women's right groups. And to say that there was a difference was, was just politically incorrect and it was offensive. Um, you know, I remember uh, hearing this message very clearly even in the church. Uh, one time, you know, my dad, as the, the pastor of the church that I went to, I grew up a pastor's son. And one time uh, my dad wasn't at church one evening. I don't know if he was, if he was traveling. I, I don't know. It was a Sunday night. I know that. I don't know if he was sick, but he called upon a local pastor who he didn't know very well, but we didn't have, I think, a plurality of elders to step in. He called upon a local pastor. local pastor stepped up uh, from a different church, and he stood in the pulpit, and he preached a message. And I remember he preached from the book of Genesis, and I remember his message was, this was in the 90s, sometime in the 90s, that there is no difference between a man and a woman. That was his message. And I remember very candidly how he, he did the little play on words that, that a woman is just a man with a womb. And that stands out in my mind because even as a teenage young man, I thought, 
That seems oversimplistic and a little, a little silly. There's no difference between men and women except that a woman has a womb that didn't seem biologically correct. I knew it wasn't biblically correct. It also didn't seem experientially correct. That's not what I had observed in the world around me. Uh, but that was his message. I remember going home and telling my dad and saying, Dad, I'm not sure that the message that was preached from the pulpit tonight in our church where you're the pastor, I'm not sure that that message jives with the message that uh, you've been preaching to me. My dad had two, uh, two boys he was raising. I'm not sure that the, these two messages line up. And he, he listened to what I had to say, and he said, you know what? You're right. <laughs> that does not line up. Uh, so this message in the 80s and 90s was so prevalent that, that it, it penetrated the church. It penetrated every message of society. But you compare that to the message of the culture and world around us today, specifically in the transgenderism movement, and in the transgenderism movement, foundational to, to the idea of transgenderism, transgenderism is that gender means everything. So we have moved from, away from a culture where the message was gender means nothing, and you know there is no difference between genders, uh, and everything that a boy can do, a girl can do, and it's wrong to give, uh, it's wrong to give a toy soldier to a boy, and it's wrong to give a, a toy doll to a girl, and you ought to, you know, that's that's what I grew grew up in. You know, you should give the soldier to the to the girl, you should give the doll to the boy. And now in the transgenderism movement, uh, we have the message that gender means everything, and to deny someone their gender of choice is a human rights violation, because who they are, be it male or female, is going to shape their entire worldview. And so now gender means everything. And so we're supposed to listen to the four or five-year-old boy, biologically, who wants to define himself as a girl because he's more comfortable in girls' clothes. That's drastically different than the message that I grew up in in the 80s and 90s where a girl could be a girl and prefer to wear boys' clothes, and she should be called no less of a girl than a girl who prefers to wear girls' clothes. That was the message of the 80s and 90s, and it was uh, a, you know, a bunch of half-truths put together. You know? uh, and, and now the message today is that you know, gender means everything, and to deny someone their gender preference is, a, you know, like I said, a human rights violation. So we understand that when we wade into these waters, we are wading into a controversial subject, and yet Christians can speak with clarity wherever the Bible gives them freedom to do so, and I plan on speaking with clarity right here, because if you're raising young men, and this particular message is geared towards men, and young men need to grow up to be full-grown men and responsible, adult, mature men, the message is, the Bible says, the Word of God calls men to work and to provide. It is a man's responsibility to provide. And if the world wants to be confused about that, then let the world suffer with the, with the downsides of those confusions. But Christian homes should not be afflicted with that calamity. It is the man's responsibility to provide. And a man who refuses to do that cannot and should not be identified as a Christian because he has denied the faith and he's worse than an unbeliever. He's taken the biblical mandate and he's thrown it out the window and he's trying to re-identify, he's trying to redefine Christianity and re-identify re himself in that faith and he ought not be allowed to do it. So, point number one, it is a man's 
responsibility to provide for his own, for his own household, for his own family, for his parents when they reach a certain age, for his grandparents when they reach a certain age, for anyone identified under his care. You know, if I am the oldest man in my family and I'm in my 40s and I have an aunt who doesn't have any other children, who married and who is now a widow and who is in need of care, it doesn't matter that she's not my mother. It doesn't matter that she's not my grandmother. She is an aunt in my family. And if she goes without what she needs, it is my fault. She is my responsibility. It is a man's responsibility to provide. Men should go to work. I'm not saying women shouldn't go to work. I grew up in a home with strong women, and I think there's a call for strong women right here in 1 Timothy chapter 5. Women have responsibilities, and sometimes they overlap the provision of a man's responsibility. Sometimes they don't. But regardless of what the woman's responsibility is, it is the man's responsibility to go to work. Point number one. Point number two. There are to be no handouts for the lazy. Now, we have talked about welfare. Last week I talked about welfare. I went into many points about welfare. The Bible is not antagonistic towards welfare principles. There's welfare in the Old Testament. There are people who are in need. Jesus provided for people who are in need and he told his disciples, the poor will be with you always. Okay, so I am not anti-welfare, nor am I anti-helping a brother in need. Some of the largest single donations I have ever made over the course of my working life, since I've been a man and gone to work and made money, have been to individual brothers in Christ who bad things have happened. Uh, there's been an injury and they physically cannot work. There has been some sickness or some calamity and they're struggling to provide. Listen, this is not talking about someone who wants to provide and physically cannot do it. This is not talking about someone who hits a temporary hardship, hardship and who needs help. You know, what, what, does, what does the Bible tell us? What, what does 1 John tell us? That if we see our brother in need and we close our eyes to him, then we've denied the faith. We've made a mockery of the faith. We can't do that. Okay, so this is not uh, a rant against welfare. This is not a rant against helping people who are in need. This whole passage is about a class of people who are in need and presumably cannot provide for themselves. Widows, you know, beyond a certain age. Uh, widows who have endured the hardship of their husband dying. You know, so this is not about not helping people. This is entirely about a man's call to work and then a man who refuses to do that because of laziness or indifference, which is just laziness in disguise, okay? We need to be honest about laziness where we see it. But a man who refuses to do that should not be provided for. Now I'm going to read from the Proverbs for you here. Okay, Proverbs chapter 16, verse 26. Now listen to this. It may not be clear at first what this means. Just listen. Proverbs 16, 26. The person who labors, labors for himself, for his hungry mouth drives him on. Now you say, well, that's kind of obvious, but understand what it's saying. The person who labors, labors for himself. Now that is not typically how we think of labor. We typically think of labor as, well, I go to work and I labor for my boss. You know, let's say I work at a, comp at a company that makes shoes. I go to work and I, I labor for the shoe company. But Proverbs 16 says, the person who goes to work at the shoe company does not labor for the shoe company. 
the person who goes to work at the shoe company labors for himself and for his hungry mouth that is driving him or motivating him. Translation, you don't have to be motivated by the type of work that you do. You are working for what you need. You are working for what you need. There are few things that annoy the bejesus out of me more than someone saying, well, I quit that job. Really? Yeah, I quit that job. To go to another job that you'd arranged or been hired to do? No, I don't have anything else lined up. I'm going to collect unemployment for a while. I quit that job because I just had to get out of there. It was frustrating me and depressing me and I wasn't happy doing what I was doing and I just couldn't stuff one more of this into one more of that and I just, I, so I just quit that job and now I got to go find something else. And what's going to happen? They're going to go down to the unemployment office and file for unemployment and their employer probably won't dispute it and they're going to be unemployed and they're going to collect benefits or they're going to depend on other people, family and friends to provide for their needs for a while. Why? Because they weren't motivated anymore to go to work. I just couldn't find the motivation. I just wasn't fulfilling me. I didn't have something better lined up. I didn't do the responsible thing to make sure that my needs were provided for. I, now I'm just counting on other people to provide for me because, you know, I just, I couldn't get motivated for that type of work. It wasn't, maybe you've heard this before, it just wasn't my thing. It just wasn't a good fit for me. The person who labors, labors for himself, because his hungry mouth motivates him. Are you a human being who happens to get hungry from time to time? Then guess what? All kinds of work is for you. <laughs> All kinds of work is for you. Why? Because you need to eat, friend. So you need to work, friend. So you know what? Rather than looking at, at internal wants and desires for your life, why don't you ask yourself, do I plan on getting hungry this evening? Maybe I should go to work. So point number two, there are not to be handouts, and this is specifically within the church that I'm talking about, but it applies more broadly to society. There should not be handouts for the lazy. Here is Paul writing in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 7 through 12. So Paul writing to a church, and he, he writes this in verse 7 of 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Listen to Paul. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow us. And people who are lazy, they know they shouldn't be lazy. They may not want to admit it, but they know it. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow us, for we were not disorderly among you. Disorderly here, Paul is talking about laziness. In other words, a life that is disorderly is a life where someone does not go to work and doesn't try to provide for themselves. They're just going to count on other people to do it. For we were not disorderly among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge. There it is. Paul says, look, I, I was an apostle, I came, and I was a missionary, and I was in and among you, and I stopped by, and we didn't just take all your food free of charge while we sat there and taught you the gospel. But we worked with labor and toil night and day so that we would not be a burden to any of you. 
Not because we do not have an authority. No, look, a missionary who is traveling to a foreign place to share the gospel, when people get saved and they need continued teaching by that missionary, that missionary has the authority, that missionary has the right, that pastor has the right to say, look, I'm laboring to teach you night and day. I'm teaching children, I'm ministering to you, I'm in and out of your homes, I'm visiting the sick and those who are in need, I'm working and laboring. I should not have to starve while I do this. And I also shouldn't have to go get another job to provide for myself while I do this. So Paul says, we had authority to eat your bread, but in order to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us, we didn't do it. We went out and we worked. You know, Paul was a tent maker. You know, he, he made, he, he worked on canvas so that he could provide for himself. Verse 10, for even when we were with you, we commanded this to you. So Paul goes to Thessalonica, and he starts a church, and one of his initial commands to the people who get saved and follow the Lord Jesus, one of the first commands that he gives them is, if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. No handouts for the lazy. Now look, if a person's perfectly willing to work, and they go to work, and they're trying as hard as they can to earn a living, and they can't put enough food on the table, you know, for goodness sake, Christian people ought to help them. Okay? Christian people ought to help the person who is laboring to work and can't put enough food on the table. And I think Christian people ought to help the single mother who's raising children and has come to the Lord Jesus Christ and wants to do the right thing and is struggling. The Christian family ought to help that person because that mom is trying to do what God's called her to do. Again, come back next week. We'll have the call to women from 1 Timothy chapter 5. But for a Christian man, if you're going to be lazy, you're not going to work. Here's Paul's first command to you. If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. And then he says this. This is his letter. Okay, verse 11, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. For we have heard that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. Now this defines what a busybody is in the New Testament because you read that word from time to time associated with men, associated with women. What's a busybody? A busybody is someone who is disorderly. In other words, they are not doing what they are called to do, but they're concerning themselves with other affairs instead of what they are called to do. Now, those who are such we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness, quit being a busybody, go to work, and eat their own bread. No handouts for the lazy. That is not a biblical principle. You say, how is this love? You know, laziness, you know, sometimes, sometimes people just struggle for motivation. Well, here's Proverbs chapter 19, verse 15. Laziness casts one into a deep sleep, and an idle person will suffer hunger. Let me tell you something. Laziness is detrimental to mental health, and it leads to poverty and suffering, not just for that individual, but generationally, to everyone who depends upon that person, to a community who depends upon that person to be productive. Laziness is detrimental to mental health. When you wake up and you're tired and you're sluggish and you don't feel like doing anything, you know the worst thing you can do is get back in bed and surrender and pull the covers over you and close the shades and sleep for another hour and a half or two hours. You think you're going to feel better then? Not unless there's some physical illness. Laziness, sluggishness, slothfulness, those feelings of surrender to physical laziness, they should not be given into. Laziness casts one into a deep sleep, 
An idle person will suffer hunger. It's Proverbs 19.15. Here's one more. Proverbs 26, verse 16. I like this. Proverbs 26, verse 16. Here it is. The lazy man is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. In other words, lazy people imagine that the way they're living and the way that they're acting is actually smart. The way they're living, not earning anything and not taking care of themselves and relying on others. It's wise in their own eyes. And boy, they have opinions on all sorts of things in the world. And you know, it doesn't matter how intelligent. Sometimes it is the most intelligent people who are lazy. The lazy man is wise in his own eyes, wiser than seven men who can answer sensibly. You know what? The wise person doesn't trap themselves into poverty and suffering nor traps others who depend on them in, 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 into poverty and suffering by being lazy in their principle and lazy in their intellect and lazy in their wisdom. The, the, the wise person gets up and goes to work and earns a living and does something productive. That's wisdom. And it's not love. It's not love to fund laziness that's going to be detrimental to somebody's mental health, that's going to cause them to suffer long-term, and their children, their family, their parents, their grandparents, all those who depend on them, and the community around them to suffer long-term. That is not love. Love says to the lazy person, get your butt out of bed and go to work. That's love. Hard love, love. Point number three. Work is godly and rest is godly. Work is godly and rest is godly. Both work and rest are present in creation. For six days God worked and on the seventh day He rested and He did that as a pattern. Not because He was tired. He did it to establish a pattern for creation. Work and rest are both godly. In the curse God punishes Adam, but He doesn't punish Adam with work. No, he punishes Adam with unproductive work. He says, from now on, you're going to toil and labor agriculturally, and there's going to be weeds and thistles and thorns in the way. It's not going to be easy for you anymore to be productive. Work isn't a curse. Unproductive work is a part of the curse of sin. And let me tell you something. Those of you who've ever been in an office environment and you've watched the curse of sin play out in relationships and bitterness and feuds and arguments and dissension, you know that it certainly does bring unproductivity to work, a lack of productivity to work. Sin, the curse of sin, brings unproductive work. But work itself isn't bad. Work can be fulfilling and work can be satisfying, even doing mundane things. How many of you, grown adults, when you were children, you were given tasks and chores around the house and you didn't like them at all. You know, you, you didn't find any profit to them at all. So you just did them because mom or dad made you do them. And, and you never felt good about it. You just did it because you were made to do it. But then when you became an adult, you found yourself over time thinking, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wake up on a Saturday. I'm an adult. No one's making me mow the yard, <laughs> depending on who you're married to. No one is making me mow the yard, but I'm going to get out and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get the lawnmower and I'm going to make sure it's functional. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work on the lawnmower for a few minutes, then I'm going to mow the yard. And how do you feel when you're done mowing the yard? Now, maybe you're tired, maybe you're in a rush, but there's a sense of accomplishment when you look at a yard that you freshly mowed and said, yeah, I did that. Good work. Well done. There's a sense of accomplishment when you clean something up, when you put something back together, when you repair something. Work isn't bad. Work is godly. You know, we talk about the Sabbath a lot in the Old Testament because we recognize it's one of the Ten Commandments, the Sabbath rest, that we should keep it holy. 
But do you know in the same Sabbath command, in Exodus chapter 20, verse 9, and repeated every time the Sabbath is present, the Sabbath command is present in the law of God, is the command to work. Listen to this, Exodus chapter 20, verse 9. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. The seventh day you shall rest. It's funny how we as human beings focus an awful lot on the Sabbath rest. And we seem to forget. You know, it doesn't even enter into our thought that in the same command is the command to work for six days. <laughs> Here it is again, Exodus chapter 23. Six days you shall do your work. On the seventh you shall rest. Exodus chapter 35 verse 2. Work shall be done for six days. On the seventh day you shall keep it holy. Leviticus chapter 23 verse 3. Six days shall work be done. But the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 13. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. I read a story recently that's in the news. It's on Sports Illustrated today. A long-form story, long story about a football player who retired from the NFL, millions of dollars richer, and he was a, a Christian man, albeit, you know, some questions about the way a legalistic approach to how he handled himself, I guess. But he was nevertheless seeming to be in sound doctrine. And you know what happened? He retired from the NFL and he got caught up in some heretical movement. And now he's a part of a cult somewhere down south. You know? Why? Yeah, I wonder if it's because he wasn't getting up and going to work anymore. He was just resting all the time. You know, people talk about retirement. Like, I'm going to retire and I'm not going to work anymore and it's going to be great. It's not going to be great. It's not going to be what you think it is. Not if that's what you actually do. Do you know why? Because God created us to work. He didn't create us to sit around and not do anything. He didn't create us to sit around and waste our lives. But there's been all kinds of statistics over the years that people have thrown at me and that have stuck with me about people who retire from work and sit around and they stop being active and they stop being healthy and they stop being mentally productive and they waste away within a few years. And there were no indications that they were about to waste away when they hit 65 and retired, but they just waste away in a few years. They're not doing anything anymore. They're not being what they're called to be. Now look, the flip side of this is it's, it's, it's inherently ungodly to work, 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 work and abandon the Sabbath. You should have a day of the week when you are not working and when you are devoting yourself to worship and, and a man to, to, to leading out in worship and participating in worship in your family, in the community. And if you're not doing that, you're in violation of God's law. But conversely, if you are not working for six days, you are also in violation of God's law. Let's not pretend that work isn't commanded. By the way, do you know this is a gospel issue? Do you know how Jesus described his own ministry as work? Here's Jesus in John chapter 17, verse 4. Father, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. Now in that, Jesus recognizes that his life on the earth is not something to do with whatever he wants. His life on the earth was given to him with purpose. There is work then that he was given to accomplish. And now as he goes to the cross, he announces with satisfaction, I have finished the work which you have given me to do. That's the Son of God. And you know what? If you'll give your life to the Son of God, if you'll commit yourself to him, he will take care of your work ethic because He will give you work that is both hard and fulfilling.
work that is both difficult, challenging, and satisfying. Only through Jesus can a creature made by a Creator come into a relationship with that Creator whereby they can finally see clearly what God has called them to accomplish in their life. You know, and if you're a Christian and you're struggling with what God has called you to accomplish in your life, come talk to me. The, the, the odds are, if that's what you're really struggling with, you're looking in the wrong places for a calling. And I hear people say, I'm really struggling with what God's called me to do with my life. And they're focusing almost entirely on the fact that they're looking for somebody to marry. Or they're focusing almost entirely on the fact that they're trying to figure out where they should go to college or where they should apply for a job or where they should move and what is God's will for my life and what the, they're so focused on the micro the, the the small individual decisions in life that they're missing the broader call that the Bible makes clear to us we're supposed to work for the Lord God by serving Him and serving Him in His church and in among His people and in the community. And listen to me, friend. If you have to go work at a local warehouse or a factory to provide for your needs and then to allow you to take the, your time and your effort and your energy and your resources that you earn stuffing something into a box somewhere in order to have true fulfilling by loving others in the name of Jesus Christ, you're going to find your fulfillment loving others which might be contingent upon going to work and providing for your needs at a factory. But most people are like, no, no, no. I have to find something that provides me meaningful fulfillment from 8 to 5 or 9 to 5 so that then I can relax and do whatever I want from 5 to midnight. You're going about it the wrong way. You're supposed to find your fulfillment in the Word of God in 5 to midnight. You're not supposed to find, you know, we're going to have to work to provide. It's part of life. Jesus had work to do and he accomplished it. And if you want to know what you should be doing with your life, you need to start there. Okay, so point number one, let's review here. Point number one, it is a man's responsibility to provide. The Bible is clear. Point number two, there are no handouts for the lazy man who refuses to work who has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Number three, work is godly and so is rest. Work and rest both have a place. The Bible defines what those places are. You're supposed to work six days a week, rest one. You know, but work and rest are both godly principles. It's not one without the other. Okay, and now bonus, okay, and I want to close with some wisdom. Now, I'm not going to close with an altar call because there's some practical things that I want to say here. I believe these things are rooted in Scripture. I believe these things are, are important principles for young men. But look, Mom, Dad, if you think I'm misleading or if you think that I'm giving bad advice to Junior, go ahead and cover his ears up right now or feel free to go home and tell him, hey, you ignore that everything in that last point from the pastor, okay? But, but I'm going to give the advice anyway, okay? So, so uh, here we are. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 23 says this. In all labor there is profit, but idle chatter leads only to poverty. Translation. Talking about what you want to do and talking about what you're going to do and talking about all your grand plans and talking about everything that you're going to accomplish is just idle chatter. That will not lead to wealth. It will lead to poverty. But in labor, there is profit. In working, 
there is compensation. In other words, talk is cheap. And sometimes you just need to go to work. Sometimes it's just time to pay the bills. I once got in trouble with a guy, real trouble with a guy. Yeah, left a church, never spoken to me again. Once got in a big trouble with the guy because, you know, he was seeking, you know, help from the church and he was seeking a lot of money and he wouldn't go to work. Now, he told me about all of his grand plans. You know, he was going to go to school to do this, and he was thinking about going to school to do this. But this was not a young man. This is not a guy who was like 20, 21 years old. This is a guy in his 40s, 50s. And he, you know, he was without a job. And so I asked him, you know, are you applying at Walmart right now? I mean, are you applying at a fast food place? Look, if you're working hard and you're, you're having trouble providing for your needs, uh, the church, you know, is willing to help. You know, the, the God's people are willing to help a brother who's willing to work and who's out there working. And he's like, no, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to, I'm going to go to school for a while. This is a man with a wife and kids and family and responsibility. And he doesn't want to work. He wants someone else to pay his bills for him so that he doesn't have to work while he talks about all this stuff that he's going to go accomplish and do. You know, and all labor there is profit. But idle chatter leads only to poverty. And that's exactly what he was experiencing. I told him that, he got pretty mad at me. So here's some advice. Uh, I speak at a career class at National Trail, at least I have for the last three or four years. Here's what I tell him at the end of my little presentation about what I do for 11. Number one, when you get a job, go to that job. Sounds simple, right? Your attendance at your place of employment should be as close to 100% as it can possibly be. You should not be late. You should not be absent. You should not be sick. When you get it, that may not be popular to say in the middle of COVID-19, but let me tell you something. That's the advice my dad gave me, and it was good advice. You know, if you're really sick enough that you can't go to work, you're going to know that because you're going to know, I cannot go to work. But if you've got the sniffles or a sore throat or a cough, and I know these are all COVID-19 symptoms, and I understand we're in a unique time, but I'm talking in the macro. I'm talking about in the grand scheme of things. Go to work. You get a job, go to the job. All right? Number two of my bonus wisdom for careers. Always be respectful of your job and your employer. In other words, be professional. Always. I don't care. He's not a good guy. I don't care if he's a good guy. Is he your boss where they are paying you to go work for a living? Be respectful to that guy. I don't care if he's not a good guy. I mean, you could look for another job while you're being respectful to that guy. But be respectful to that guy. If he's paying you to do job, be professional. Be professional to your employers. Be professional to the company that's employing you. You know, don't walk out and think, man, I hate this place. Be respectful. They're paying you money that you need to eat, to provide for the things that you need to do in life. Be professional. Number three, this seems like a simple one. Follow the rules and instructions at your job. Follow the rules and instructions at your job. Let me give you a few examples. Don't fail a drug test. Don't fail a drug test. They have a policy against a certain substance. Don't take that substance give you another example. Don't make up your own safety guidelines. I don't care if you think it's safe. I don't care if you think it's silly. If those are the guidelines, follow the guidelines. I'll give you another one. Follow the chain of command. Follow the chain of command. Almost every place that I've ever heard of, there's been a chain of command. Maybe a real simple command. Maybe it's just three guys on a job site and one's in charge. 
or it could be this complex hierarchy tree structure of, of authority that you're supposed to pay attention to. Pay attention to it and follow the chain of command. Because if you step outside the chain of command, eventually the person who's in command is going to kick you out of the chain. I'll give you one more. Don't deviate without permission. Uh, most jobs are not paying you for your creativity. They have a way that they want something to be accomplished. They take the time to tell you how to accomplish it. They expect you to do it the way that they've told you to do it. Now, if you think you have a better, more creative way, and you know you're going to schedule uh, an appointment with the chain of command, and you're going to show up and be professional and respectful and present your idea after they've accepted the appointment and they've heard you out, and then they say, you know what, I appreciate you bringing this to your attention. I really like it. Let's do it. Or, you know what, I appreciate you bringing this to your attention. I don't agree with you, so we're going to, we're going to stay on track with the way we've always done things. That's all okay. You know, I'm not telling you never, don't ever think about your job. Just be a mindless lemming. But do not deviate from what you're supposed to do and the way you're supposed to do it without permission. That's great career advice. Do what you're supposed to do. Uh, nothing is more frustrating than when you go to, something, to a location in a building and you expect it to be the way that it's supposed to be. And it doesn't look anything like the way that it's supposed to be. And you hunt the person down and you say, hey, what in the world is this? And they say, well, I just thought that this would be better. Because they're so narrowly focused on their particular job, they've not processed the way it's going to affect everybody else. Or maybe they've processed the way it was going to affect anybody else, but they didn't communicate it through the chain of command. Don't deviate without permission. Do the job you've been told to do. All right, I got two more of these principles of advice. Number four, get along with the people at your job. You could do this pretty easy. Uh, love others more than yourself. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Pretty simple. That's Jesus' advice. Second greatest command, you know, love your neighbor as yourself, right? Golden rule from Jesus. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Get along with people. Be respectful. Uh, I don't know how many people I have seen let go from positions over the years. Not because they wouldn't show up and not because they didn't do okay work, but because they couldn't get along with people. They're always in some dispute. You know what? People get sick of that. People get sick of that. Last bit of work advice, career advice. Work harder than everybody else at your job. And the Bible says, whatever you're doing, work as unto the Lord. That's what the Bible tells slaves. Now, I don't think you're going to a job that is harder than being a slave. I don't. I mean, that, that is an entire life position. That's not, you know, from 9 to 5. That's from 12 to 12 every day. You're not, you're not in a worse condition than a slave. The Bible tells the slave, work as unto the Lord. So you know what? Work as unto the Lord at your job. Work harder than everybody else. And if some co-workers think you're working too hard, forget those guys. You don't have to explain yourself to them. Work as unto the Lord. Very few times in life, if you're being professional and you're being respectful and you're not being demanding and you're following the rules and you're just working as hard as you can, very few times in life will you be penalized for working harder than everybody else. Very few times. Not unless there's some other issue going on. So that's bonus wisdom for careers. We'll cover this one more time. because I want to make sure our men understand. Number one, it's a man's responsibility to, pro to provide. Number two, there are to be no handouts for the lazy. Number three, work is godly, rest is godly. And number four, be smart when you go to work. Wisdom in your career will go a long way. All right, let's close with a word of prayer.
Father, I love you. I thank you for the opportunity to share these things. You know, this may sound overly practical. This may not sound very spiritual at all to people. It's incredibly spiritual. The strength to behave this way, the strength to follow these commands, comes from you, from the Spirit of God at work in our hearts. And I pray that people will know the Spirit of God, that they'll be influenced by the Spirit of God, that they'll listen to the Word of God, that they'll listen to the Word of God that speaks to who they are as a person, a sinner in need of repentance and salvation, that they'll listen to the Word of God when it speaks to the practical wisdom of how to function in the day-to-day. -day. Help us to go to work as men and to do well so that we can provide for those around us and our own needs. It's in Jesus' name that I pray.